0: I know we had a little bit of an extended fellowship time there as I was making my way around, uh, just asking how many of you have uh, weathered the storm this last week, and some of you lost cars, most everybody experienced some form of flooding or harrowing adventure trying to get home, and some of you were here like we were on Wednesday night when quite unexpectedly uh, there were flash floods all around us, and it was pretty scary we fared pretty well, all things considered, most of you did. Some of you didn 't. Some of you lost homes, some of you lost cars. Uh, I had a conversation just just before service with Landon, but he had called me this week, and Land, would you stand up for a minute uh, he 's uh, offered himself he 's an uh, insurance professional, and he offered if you need any help or guidance, getting through the claims process, this is what he does. Uh, he 's graciously offered to talk to anybody, consult with anybody that might have any questions. Obviously, he's been through it before, knows the drill, and if you don't, it can be a really uh, difficult process of you know having to deal with all that with insurance companies right now. Most of you probably already had started that process, but if you need any guidance, I just wanted to mention that Landon has uh, graciously offered his services. So, all of the rest of you, listen. If if you have some needs, if there's things going on right now, financial needs, uh, if there's if there's physical needs, something we can do the result of the storm, or not even the result of the storm, just let one of our leaders know. I mean, that's why we're here. You know, I want to say that. I know it's, you don't often hear that from the pulpit. usually hear, you know, we need money. No, we we really don't and we're here to be able to support the needs of all of our church families so if some of you guys are going through a hard time suffering some loss right now financially and you need some help getting through this difficult time please speak to us if you don't want to speak to me that's fine you can speak to one of our leaders and we'll make sure that we step up and help you and uh, on that subject just one last thing and some of this this is all being recorded but i want it to be recorded so the people who are listening at home or couldn't be here with us today hear this uh, but, also the Remmer family, uh, we continue to pray for Jackie we, you and Mike, we continue to pray for you guys and little Oliver, and uh, getting the updates and uh, they 've also set up a meal plan for these guys who are going through a challenging time. so if you need that information, we have that information and can make that available to you with that let 's open this morning service in prayer, Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for getting us through what was a very challenging and difficult week for many of us and We are grateful that you carry us through this storm. When the waters overflow, you don't abandon us. The flames don't kindle upon us, as you spoke through Isaiah. We know that you always go with us through the most difficult circumstances, and we pray that you'd be with our brothers and sisters and our family members who have suffered very challenging losses, and and some people, loss of life in their families. So we look for your guidance and your comfort, your direction, We have a willingness to help and to assist, and we want to just be guided and led by you to do so. Help us lay it upon our hearts to not wait for someone else to meet the need, but if you give us the opportunity individually to meet the need in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And so now we commit to you our time uh, of studying your word and ask that you just speak to our hearts and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well if you' turn with me in your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts, where we have been studying now for some time, several months, in chapter 11 verse 19, where we left off last week, we enter a new subsection in this book where we've been talking about, as Jesus laid out in Acts chapter one, verse 8, the Holy Spirit would come upon the disciples and they would become witnesses in Jerusalem. And they were witnesses in Jerusalem. And then we'll see there was a reason why they spread out from Jerusalem into Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And now the ends of the earth sort of begins in a city called Antioch in Syria. And so before we get into the areas of the Greek culture and Roman culture in future studies, We're going to start in a place called Antioch, and so starting in chapter 11, verse 19, we're going to see that the disciples were called to be witnesses in Antioch. Now, I want to give you a little background. Some of you are here for the first time, and we've been dealing with this over a period of weeks. It's very important we understand where we came from in order to get to where we need to be. We start by realizing that the disciples preached the gospel wherever the Lord called them to go. It's been a process. They started in Jerusalem. Now they're going to make their way to another city outside of Israel, in Syria. But it all started with the death of Stephen. See, Stephen, the martyr, the deacon in the church, he was put to death, and and that began the uh, beginning of severe persecution in Jerusalem. The Jews began to persecute the church at Jerusalem. Right after Stephen was put to death, they started to chase Christians, put them in prison, take them into custody, and, and it became a very difficult time in the church. Listen, pause, reflect for a minute. It's been a difficult time in the church this last year and a half, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. I hope it does. I pray it does, but it doesn't seem to be. So as I consider that, I think, well, what good can come out of difficult times, what, what good can come out of persecution and difficulty in the church? Well, actually, God works through all things, and he can bring good out of the most difficult and challenging experiences, as you'll see, as we'll see. So the Jews began to persecute the church, and when I say the Jews, it was the Jews that rejected Christ because all of the other Christians were Jews, too. So lest you think for a minute that we're picking on the Jews as a culture, it was the Jews that had no longer... Uh, They really did. They took the gloves off. They no longer cared whether or not they were seen as vicious and violent. They were beginning to kill their fellow Jews who had become Christians. The Holy Spirit used this persecution to fulfill Jesus' last promise to his disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You see, he had given them this promise just before he ascended into heaven. And his disciples were pushed out of their comfort zone and into God's perfect will. And I find that oftentimes God works that way. They were scattered throughout the very places that he had called them to go. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Now the apostles were the only ones left in Jerusalem after the persecution began. So imagine the pastoral staff shows up on Sunday and there's no one there. They've all been scattered. There was a a large church and now they've all been scattered to these different places that God had called them to go through persecution. Because you see, they had been focused on building a very large church within the Jewish capital city. You can't blame them, but that's not what God had in mind. The church at Jerusalem had grown quite large, easily qualified to be a megachurch by today's standards. In addition to the 3,000 converts on the day of Pentecost, many others had joined, and after Peter's second sermon, the believers numbered 5,000. And they were later called a multitude that multiplied greatly. So who knows how many, maybe 10,000, maybe 15,000. And then the persecution begins. But I wonder if it was because they had disregarded Jesus' direction to become his witnesses outside of Jerusalem. Maybe they needed to be witnesses in the places that God had called them to go. So God didn't bring the persecution, but he allowed it, and he brought them to where he had called them to be. And so the disciples were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria, which is basically Israel. Now, the disciples preached the word of God. They shared the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they went, we're told, in chapter 8, which is good. And that's why God sometimes fans us out, and so we're not all clustered here together on a Sunday, and then we go home, and we come back, and we go home. There's things that happen in between you being here and when you come back here, and that's where ministry really takes place. That's what God is concerned about in terms of sharing the gospel. When you're here, you're being encouraged, you're being filled up, you're studying the Word, you're in fellowship. It's when you leave here that ministry really begins for all of us, not just you, me as well. But the Lord blessed the church throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, Samaria. After Paul's conversion, and we'd studied this together going back in chapter 9, Saul, who had been the chief destroyer of the church, became a Christian. And then the church experienced a time of peace and an end to the Jewish persecution of the last several years. So as quickly as the persecution started, it ended, and now the Christians are all in strategic places where God, the Holy Spirit, had called them to go. The church was strengthened. It was encouraged in the power and person of the Holy Spirit. And it continued to grow in numbers, yet they still lived in fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit, we saw over the last several weeks, had called Peter to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles of Caesarea. A very uh, significant moment in the church, a point of change, big change. And the Jewish believers heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And, of course, at that point, no one else dared to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. It was a Jewish church. There really weren't any Gentiles who attended the church until the Lord called Peter. We saw how while the apostles were ministering primarily to the Jews in Jerusalem and Philip had gone to Samaria, Peter and John had gone to Samaria, Uh, we see that Philip ministered to an Ethiopian Jew, still a Jew, Saul had ministered to Jews in Damascus and also in Jerusalem. It wasn't until Peter, who had been ministering to Jews in Lydda and Joppa, was called by the Holy Spirit to go into a Gentile Roman city called Caesarea and minister to Cornelius the Centurion and his whole household. You see, at this point, the Jews actually believed that Gentiles must become Jews in order to be saved. But the Holy Spirit made it clear that wasn't true. And so we saw last week, Peter explained to the Jewish believers how the Gentiles had received the word of God as Gentiles. And that was a significant moment in the church. And finally now, because of Peter's good leadership, The Jewish believers embraced the truth that the Gentiles had, in fact, received the word of God. So now, everything is different. There's no place you can't go to preach the gospel. There's no person you can't preach the gospel to. Suddenly, the mission field is is blown wide open. You can go to cities like Antioch, you can go to Cyprus, you can go wherever you want, and no one's going to say, you know, you shouldn't be preaching the gospel to Gentiles or eating with them or fellowshipping with them until they become Jews. That had ended for the most part. And now we see God had a plan. And so we pick it up in verse 19. As the disciples had been scattered by the persecution as far as places like Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. This is around 32 AD when all of that took place, when they were scattered. But now we're going to see over the last 11 years, God has been working to change and to bring change to the church. So we read in verses 19 through 21 of Acts chapter 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch telling the message only to Jews. And some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was upon them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Amen? A great number of people turned to the Lord. Can you imagine if if the Holy Spirit hadn't made it clear to the early church that it wasn't just a Jewish move of the Holy Spirit? What if that had never happened? How many of us would not be here? Probably all of us. So think about that for a minute. What significant change brought about in terms of ministry opportunities. Now the disciples who had been scattered, well, they, they were from Jerusalem. And while they only preached the gospel to their fellow Jews in this area, or these areas, there were a few people who got wind of the fact that Peter had actually preached the gospel in Caesarea. And I guess they thought, well, if Peter can do it, so can I. Now, we talk about these areas of the world, and you may not have a degree in geography, so you you may not know where they are, but Phoenicia was a territory within the province of Syria on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Cyprus, you probably are aware of, is an island, a beautiful island off the coast of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. But Antioch was the capital of Syria on the Orontes River. And this was a a really well-known place. It was founded by Seleucus Nicator in 300 BC, very Greek city, if you will. Uh, It was named after his father Antiochus. And it's the third largest Roman city at this time. The third largest behind Rome and Alexandria. And it was a significantly immoral place to live. So, wow, God decides to do a work in a place like this. You know we we always we always get it wrong. Or at least I do. We always say, "Well, God isn't going to work in a city like Antioch or Passaic or Patterson or Newark." Or he wouldn't work in a place like that. And, and listen, I'm not picking on those cities, but we tend to think God can only work in places like Hawthorne and Franklin Lakes or Essex Fells, right? At least that's what it seems like when pastors plant churches. They always seem to point out those places. And and we need churches in those places as well. I'm not picking on churches that are there, but isn't it interesting how, I mean, over the years, I've been doing this like 35 years, and like 9 out of 10 pastors are called to go to very significantly wealthy suburbs. I don't know what that's all about. (laughs) I'm being very sarcastic. Um, But a few of us, actually there's more than a few of us, Many of the pastors who are in cities know they're called to be here because this is where God has called us to be. This is where the work of the Spirit is is being done in and through our lives. You know, many of you know, I was for 17 years of ministry in New York City, in Manhattan. And then we came here and, you know, a number of people said, oh, good, you're going to be in the suburbs now? Maybe like uh, West Caldwell? I live in North Caldwell. It's like maybe the Caldwells, maybe West Essex. Ah, no, we're going to be in Passaic. Because <laughs> that's where God led us to be. It's Joe's fault, actually. Pastor Joe found this building... In the paper, in the Bergen record. And so, thanks, Joe. (laughs) Seriously, thank you. And, you know, we just saw that this was God's hand, and here we are. That was back in 2004, and here we are. And we're we're thankful. You know, I had a wonderful conversation with a very dear friend of mine who was one of the founding trustees of this church, Matt Johnson. And we had a little talk. We keep in touch. We were FaceTiming, and we started to have like a conversation. It was almost like a podcast, except we were the only ones watching it. And, he said something, and I told him I was going to share this. He said, you know, because he ministers uh, alongside uh, a ministry team in Alabama now. They, they live in uh, the Mobile area. And I guess he's one of the leaders there, and he works alongside the pastor. And they're not a huge church, and they have their challenges just like every one of us do, right? And, you know, it's funny. We started talking about, you know, we always strive to have the perfect facility with the perfect parking, and brand new bathrooms. And, and you guys know we just spent a lot of time. Jim, we spent a lot of time in those bathrooms, right? A little bit more time than I don't think I've ever spent that much time with a man in the bathroom. <laughs> we, we do the best with what we have. We're, we're, and, and, you know, pray because this carpet needed to be replaced like 40 years ago. And, and we're working to get that done, too. I'm, I'm in the process right now, okay? So, you know, waiting for estimates and things. We're doing what we can with what we have. But this building, as wonderful and beautiful as it is, is never going to be what some people think a church should be. Okay? So we were having this conversation, and he said, you know something, Tim? He said, I think the annoyances and the inconveniences that church facilities experience, God uses as a filter to filter out people who are the flakiest. And I said, I think you're right, Matt. Because if you're going to let a little thing like, you know a bathroom, or a carpet, or the fact that maybe parking might be a challenge, or the fact that the church is in Passaic, a very nice area of Passaic, by the way, but still, because it's in Passaic, oh, I'm not going to go to that church, this probably isn't the church for you. I look around, I see you guys, you, you don't let things like that get in the way of God using you or ministering, but we're not even trying to compete with those churches in the suburbs that have everything. But have you ever noticed, and this is the point that Matt brought out, that many times those churches, the spiritual temperature of those churches is very low. And that's because it's very easy to go to those churches. And people who attend those churches oftentimes won't get past the annoyances and the inconveniences of smaller or, you know, churches with with, with less amenities. let's, Let's call it that. And he gave me a wonderful perspective, and, and, and why we will always do the best we can with our facilities here, our goal isn't to be that church on the hill in the suburbs. Our goal is to be the church that the Holy Spirit has called us to be, where he's called us to be. So just understand that. God actually uses things like that to filter out people who maybe they just, they're focused on the things of this world or the things that don't matter. When I look around, I mean, you know, you guys could go to churches with nicer facilities. So could I. But... We know where God has called us to be. Can I hear an amen? amen? And this is hardly, by the way, a cardboard box on the bank of, you know, the Passaic River in, you know, right off of Route 21. This is a beautiful place to worship. But it really showed me something as my good friend shared with me that God uses things like that to filter us, to cause us to grow. On the mission field, everything is less than ideal. There's never a moment where everything's ideal. Right, Joe? Pastor Joe? Like we're always trying to overcome obstacles and annoyances and difficulties. The power goes out. Things, things are always on a shoestring budget. You're always trying to do something that you, you think to yourself, how in the world with a screwdriver and a, and a roll of duct tape are we going to pull this off? And God does it every time to his glory. And you experience the power of God in a way that you never do when you walk in and the air conditioning's going and everything's wonderful. And the, you know, let's take a step back and realize God works through these things. God was working in the early church through some very challenging experiences. And this city of Antioch was not the ideal place by the church planter's handbook to plant the first Gentile church. And yet, that's what the Holy Spirit did. The Lord had chosen one of the most immoral cities to plant a spirit-filled church. Now those disciples, originally from places like Cyprus and Cyrene, they began to preach the gospel to Greeks in Antioch. Way outside the box. Inspired perhaps by Peter, but they've decided to do something that some people think doesn't make a lot of sense, but that God had called them to do. Now, Cyrene, we've talked about Cyprus already. Cyrene was a city in upper Libya near modern-day Tripoli. Probably recognize that from the Marine Corps him, right? Captain Raj? (laughs) So Tripoli, right on the Mediterranean as well and that's in northern Africa. And they must have heard that Gentiles were starting to respond to the gospel in Caesarea. So the Holy Spirit empowered them, and a great number of Gentiles put their faith in Jesus Christ. You know, I often think, what would happen in churches like this and other churches if the pastor and the ministry team didn't respond to God's leading? I think God would find somebody else. That's what I really believe. But Still, the work that God wants to do in people's hearts, it isn't dependent on a perfect facility. And I try to do my best, and you guys know this. Jim knows this. We spent a lot of time doing this, trying to make the facility as perfect as we can. But it isn't about that. It's about where has the Holy Spirit led you to minister? Because I can tell you, That there's pastors lining up around the block to pastor in those churches with beautiful facilities, and it's wonderful, and they're so blessed, and we're grateful for that. But there aren't a whole lot of ministers, pastors, lay people, servants, who who are willing to roll up their sleeves and go to West Virginia like Pastor Joe and the team just did a few weeks ago. Or to minister to inner-city kids like Pastor Kurt and Inspire Sports Camps. Or to go down to Central America, like Oscar and Compassion and Action, actually it's Compassion and Action, but Compassion and Action, and, and, and go to these places where people live in shacks and literally build them a new home. Or like Carl, who just recently came back from the Middle East, ministering through a medical mission in, I think I can say it, right? Is it okay if I say it? In Lebanon. Anybody lining up to go to Lebanon? You know, when I looked at my Costco email that comes through, the Costco travel, I didn't see Lebanon as one of the destinations uh, that they were offering a special on. Lebanon was not there. You know, Afghanistan, Lebanon. You don't usually typically see that. You see Jamaica, you know, Puerto Rico. But I want you all to think about that with me because God really gave me a good understanding as I had that conversation this week. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our comfort. And we're grateful. Hey, listen, it's comfortable in here. Back in 2004, we didn't have air conditioning. <laughs> now you're thinking, oh, it's a little cold in here, Pastor Tim. I happen to be sitting right in front of the air conditioner. I don't want to move. This is my spot. I sit here every week, but it's freezing. Listen, here's the beauty of this it's really cooler up here, and it's not so cool in the back. And then if you sit right in front of the air, it's cold. And if you go two rows back, it's comfortable. You got options. But when we first started in 2004, I said, yeah, this is nice. And that was, I didn't even own an air conditioner back in 2004. Because things were different. You remember when we had summers and spring and fall. Remember that? Now we have winter and some ungodly thing that they experience in Florida every day. It's different now. But back then we had, I think... Pastor Joe can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we had like a couple of Sundays a year because we're an early service, right? We had a couple Sundays a year that were kind of really difficult. We kept the service short and we got through it. But I, I don't think we could do it now the way things are. But, but I remember when things were a whole lot more difficult. And you know something? Those were sweet and wonderful times. I want you to think about this early church and the things that they were facing threat of imprisonment, persecution, death, and how they didn't let the little inconveniences and annoyances get in the way. The fact that they had to be in a city that was significantly immoral, it didn't stop them from ministering the gospel. In fact, it empowered them, and they saw fruit like they had never seen before. So here's what happens. Look at verse 22. News of this. It's funny how news gets around. There was no social media at that time, but news gets around. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. What did they do? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, this was a, a common practice. They would hear that God was working, and then they would send someone with apostolic authority to go and check it out, just to see what was going on. They weren't micromanaging. They were interested in what was going on, and they wanted to see God's work. And so They sent Barnabas to Antioch, and in verse 23, when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. We're told there in verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Wow, what happens when we get with God's program? Yeah, but pastor, you know, it's, it, I, I did my, my, my research and, and it's not the ideal place for a church plant. Antioch is tough sledding. It's, it's going to be difficult. You know, the people there, they're pagans. It, if we start doing things by the wisdom of the world, we're done. We're done. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit doesn't listen to church planters. Or we wouldn't be here. Well, they sent Barnabas. Now, I want to mention Barnabas. He was a Levite, we're told. Going back in the earlier chapters, I believe in chapter 4, he was a Levite who lived on the island of Cyprus, off the coast of Israel in the Mediterranean Sea. His real name was Joseph. And I say that because the apostles nicknamed him Son of Encouragement. You don't nickname someone son of encouragement unless they're very encouraging to be around. He had sold the field that he had owned and gave the money to the apostles to provide for the needy. He was a very giving man. But Barnabas concluded that God had saved these Gentiles, and he concluded that this was true because he evidenced the grace of God in their lives. It says evidence. What was the evidence? Look at that word again. When he arrived and saw the evidence, what was the evidence? Some people will tell you it was speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is the evidence that the Holy Spirit has come upon people. It's not the evidence of God's grace. The evidence is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And it's further described as joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. But it's love. They will know that you are my disciples by your speaking in tongues? No, by your love, one for another. So he shows up to check it out, and he sees such love that there is no question in his mind that God is working. That is how we know a work of God is happening. Now, we had a little bit of extended time before we got into the Word today because we were checking with each other, seeing how everyone was doing. Some of you suffered difficult times this week. That's because we love you, because we love each other. We actually care about each other. That's the evidence of the Holy Spirit. That's the evidence of God's grace. That's the evidence of the grace of God that Barnabas saw And made him glad, and then he encouraged, because that's what Barnabas does. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, as we're told here. Clearly convinced the Gentiles did not need to become Jews in order to be saved. He was a good man, as I said, received the gifts of giving. He had that gift, encouragement and faith. He was gifted by the Holy Spirit. And his ministry was out of reconciliation or consolation and encouragement. Everywhere Barnabas went, people were encouraged. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? Listen, I'm going to say this nicely, but we are all guilty of being a bummer sometimes, right? Myself included. I was having a tough time getting home on Wednesday night, and there were moments where I was freaking out. Thought we were going to die, to be honest. And it was really difficult to stay positive. You know, it was, oh, 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 I'm so glad we avoided that flash flood. Oh, I'm so encouraged. No, I wasn't thinking that way the other night. I was thinking, we got to get home. How are we going to get home? And it's easy at times to be a bummer and to to, to bring everybody down. And I'm trying to be better about encouraging people through difficult times and being encouraged myself. We need to make a determination in our hearts to be like Barnabas, sons and daughters of encouragement. It doesn't mean that, you know, when the building falls down, we say, well, now we don't have to fix the roof. You know, I'm not suggesting we, we, we get ridiculous, but we do need to do a better job, amen, of being encouraging. Barnabas was a great example of this. Uh, and a great number of Gentiles in Antioch put their faith in Jesus Christ through his ministry. So, what we see, God working through godly men and women, God working in places that others would have thought, well, God can't work there, All because they allowed the Holy Spirit to lead in the church. See, that's it. It's that simple. We don't have to sit around and figure out what God wants to do. We just need to follow his leading, the leading of the Holy Spirit. So what happens next is pretty cool when you think about it. Because God had been setting this whole thing up. Anyone here play chess? Yeah, you set up your moves several times moves in advance. They call it ply, you know, the seven moves in advance. You're thinking way out there. You don't think that way. You don't win. It's just that simple. But God is a grand master. He is so many moves ahead that when the pieces start to move, you're thinking, oh, I didn't see that coming. And before you know it, it's checkmate. And that's exactly what happened. Look at verses 25 and 26. Then Barnabas. Remember now, God used Barnabas. But now we read, then Barnabas went to Tarsus. Now why would he go there? God's working in Antioch. Well, to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is pretty cool. Saul's been sitting around for the last 10 years, 11 years. Well, not all of the 11 years, but most of that time. He hasn't really been given a starring role in the work of the Holy Spirit in the early church at this point. Not that it was about him, but he later becomes a central figure. But at this point, what was Saul doing? Well, Barnabas never forgot Saul. In fact, Barnabas had introduced Saul to the apostles. He was the one that testified to the truth of Saul's conversion going back to chapter 9. He testified that Saul had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. And Saul had stayed with Peter and also spent time with James, the Lord's brother, in Jerusalem, I don't know, eight eight, eight years earlier or seven or eight years earlier. Why? Because of Barnabas. Because he opened up the door to the connections. Now, Barnabas decides, you know, this is this is cool what's going on here in Antioch. I need help. So he goes to Tarsus to find Saul. I don't even know where he is, but he finds him. But Saul had been sent to his hometown because he was kind of controversial. You know, if he had a Twitter account, he would have been taken off of Twitter. All right? If he had a Facebook page, he would have been barred from Facebook. He was controversial. He opened up his mouth, and, and people didn't always like what he had to say. So Tarsus was a major commercial city in Cilicia, about 100 miles away from Antioch, northwest. But Barnabas hadn't forgotten about Saul, and neither had the Lord during the last 11 years since they met. 11 years. And you know, Barnabas believed that Saul was extremely well-suited for this ministry to the Gentiles in Antioch. So take a moment and just project out about 11 years from now. And you're thinking, well, I want God to use me. But 11 years from now, you get the call to go to Zimbabwe. 11 11 years from now, you, you get called to plant a church in Garfield or Hackensack. You don't know what God might do if you're open to it. But there may be some waiting involved. And I'm not sitting around waiting for God to do something. We're, we're occupying till he comes. But, but there may be some waiting involved before God does a work through your life to this magnitude. That's okay. He must be preparing you for it, right? He's either preparing you for it or he's working through you to make it happen. So you've got to just trust God through that process. And I'm sure it was challenging for Saul, a very gifted man, a very well-known man, a wealthy man, who's kind of, I mean, he's not in Jerusalem anymore. They didn't really want him there, and no one really trusts him because he had been locking up Christians anyway. People are kind of skeptical of who this guy is, and without Barnabas, there would have been no open door for ministry for Saul. So he's in Tarsus, hanging out there. He wasn't called to minister in Jerusalem, but we're going to see God used him mightily in places like Syria, Cyprus, and Turkey. I mean, he was considered a blessing, mostly because he stopped persecuting people. But he was apparently ministering in the province of Cilicia when his friend Barnabas found him. So here he is just doing his thing. I I, I suppose he's just ministering, taking advantage of any opportunity to share the gospel. And then Barnabas shows up. And Barnabas brought Saul to the Gentile church in Antioch to minister with him there. They spent a whole year teaching not just a few people, but great numbers of people. Saul is a teacher. And God is using him mightily. Barnabas encouraged and discipled Saul, you realize that? Barnabas encouraged and discipled Saul, and Saul learned to develop his gifts. how by exercising them? If you have gifts of the Spirit, the only way they 're going to grow in your life is by you actually exercising them. Oh pastor i 'm waiting for that day when God calls me to teach. If you have the gift of teaching, there are many opportunities to teach in this church. Why aren 't you exercising them? see that 's the important thing that we see he was doing the work that God had called them to do, and then God called them to another work. Now, the Gentile disciples in Antioch were the very first to be called Christians, Christians. Now, the Jewish leaders that persecuted the disciples, they were Jewish disciples, but they called them the way, the way. The idea is like, yeah, they're kind of off on their own way, or their own path. The Jewish disciples simply referred to themselves as brothers and believers in Messiah, They didn't really have a name, per se. But Christ is Greek for anointed one, or or Messiah in Hebrew. So it makes sense that the Greeks, these Greek-speaking Gentiles, would be called Christians, because that's a Greek word. And so we call ourselves Christians today, but it started in this very immoral city of Antioch, that you wouldn't have picked to plant the church. And then we finally read in verses 27 through 30, During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire world, the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius, and the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Whoa. You know what's amazing to me? These Gentiles who just a few, maybe months or a year or two earlier had been excluded from the work of God are now being used by the Holy Spirit to meet the needs of those same people who are excluding them. What does that tell me? That tells me that God may use the most unlikely people in your life to bless you. People you don't even like. You may be prejudiced against a certain group of people for whatever reason. But if you're willing to see God work, he may humble you by working through those very people whom you don't like or don't understand or don't feel comfortable around. That's what happened in the early church. The church in Antioch provided much-needed help for the Jewish churches in Judea during a severe famine. See, these prophets from the Jewish church in Jerusalem, they came to the Gentile church In Antioch, and this is before 45 A.D., because we know when the famine actually took place, and it's before 45 A.D., they no doubt came to minister to these Gentile Christians. Wonderful. There were prophets in the early church, not just the Old Testament. There were also those who just had the gift of prophecy. They weren't prophets per se, but they would also prophesy. But these were prophets. They had sort of an office, office as a prophet, like pastors and apostles and evangelists. And while they were there, the Holy Spirit, because these men were willing to be where God had called them to be, he predicted through these men a severe famine, and specifically through this man Agabus. The famine would affect the entire Roman world, which is a lot of the world, and the prediction gave them the opportunity to prepare for the very challenging times ahead. See, when you know a famine is coming, just like Joseph in the seven years of plenty, you can prepare for the seven years, the seven lean years of famine. The prediction was later fulfilled during the reign of Claudius Caesar in 45 to 46 AD, so we know it actually happened because Claudius succeeded Caligula in 41 AD, and we hear about Claudius later on when he banishes the Jews from Rome in 49 AD. So this lines right up with history because it is history, the best history we have at that time. Agabus the prophet would later predict Paul's imprisonment in Jerusalem in chapter 21, so he'll come up again. But God is preparing his people for challenging times. Oh, stop. Wait a minute. You've heard me over the last year and a half. I haven't shied away from telling you the truth. God is preparing us now for difficult times in the future. If you can't get past a church without air conditioning, and we do have air conditioning, if you can't get past a a church where the carpet might be a little frayed or the parking's a little challenging, or it's in a city that you don't like, how in the world are you going to get through the most difficult times that the world has ever seen? You cannot afford... I cannot afford, we cannot afford to be flaky Christians anymore, if we were at all. You and I, we, are being prepared for the challenging times ahead. I am not a prophet. I'm not claiming to be. I don't have to be. I can watch the news and tell you that we are headed for very challenging and difficult times in the future. And you better be ready to put up with a few minor inconveniences to serve Christ and his people. Because at some point, we may be gathered in a basement without air conditioning, worshiping God. I hope not. I hope we never live to see that day, but brothers and sisters, it doesn't change the fact that God is preparing you for the possibility. And by the way, and I see some of you nodding your heads, you have been to parts of the world where this is already true and has been for a very, very long time. So don't stick your head in the sand, brothers and sisters. The, la- the least of your concerns is a flu virus. Don't get caught up in the epidemic of fear. Because fear is what the devil is using right now to keep you ill-prepared for the future. You better be courageous. I'm going to always tell you the truth. I promise. Okay? Okay? If I know what the truth is, I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to make our services about politics or vaccinations or viruses, but I'm going to tell you the truth. Things are going to get way more challenging. I have written over 20 letters for people in our congregation and part of our fellowship supporting their decision not to get vaccines. I support you if you decide to get one. But that's not the point. People are being told they could lose their job if they don't do what the government's told them to do. Maybe you love the vaccine, fine. But what if you didn't? Or what if you don't? Or what happens when they tell us to do something else that violates our conscience or even the Word of God? Are you going to be willing to lose your job? Oh, Pastor, you know, I got kids in college, so the mark of the beast is just, I'm just going to have to deal with it. Because someday, we may or may not be here, someday, you're going to have to make a decision Am I willing to suffer for Christ? And I pray that this time of preparation sows in your heart a courage and a bravery that will inspire you to follow the example of the prophets, evangelists, apostles, and martyrs of the faith. This is what was going on. God was preparing them for a very difficult time. And these Gentile disciples, they generously, generously gave to their Jewish brothers living in Judea. They didn't see the Jews as separate from themselves, but as one in Christ. They were a missions-minded ministry that considered the churches in Judea part of their family, and they decided to give as much as they could to help them prepare for the coming famine. These Gentile disciples chose Barnabas and Saul to deliver the gifts to the church elders in Jerusalem. This was Saul's second return to Jerusalem after his conversion. He had spoken boldly and debated with the Grecian Jews who had tried to kill him. It wasn't safe for Saul to go to Jerusalem. He went anyway to help people, to help Jews. He was a Jew, but he was bringing the help from Gentiles. He arrived, by the way, you may or may not know this, he arrived shortly before Herod killed James, the brother of John, and Peter was imprisoned, and he was going to be next. We'll see that in future studies. He and Barnabas later returned to Antioch after the death of Herod, so Saul and Barnabas were in Jerusalem when Herod's persecution took place. It was not safe. Oh, how do I say this lovingly? Your goal can't be safe. It can't be safe. We've been told that the goal of the last year and a half is to stay safe. You can't make that your life's mission to stay safe. You've got to follow the leading of the Spirit, and he may lead you to Lebanon. He may lead you to Central America. He may lead you to dangerous places, but it's not my business to teach you that or tell you to do that it's your responsibility to hear the word of the lord and respond but safe cannot be the litmus test for you obeying the holy spirit i hope you receive that from me in a loving way paul and barnabas were sent i'm gonna ask the worship team to come up while the church in antioch provided financially for those in need paul and barnabas were sent so which are you you could be both. Barnabas and, and Saul, you know, they were giving, but they were also sent. They also went into harm's way to do God's work. Now, the whole church in Antioch couldn't do that. They weren't called to do that. You don't send an army to do what two people can do. But two people went into harm's way, but a whole church of great numbers got behind that work and supported it. Don't worry, I'm not going to take an offering. Some of you guys are you're grabbing your wallets already. Look, we don't do that here. I already told you we have what we need, but I am going to challenge you. I've already told you up front that our church is willing to step up financially for you guys who have needs, especially this week, given many of you have suffered loss. We'll do it. That's why we're here. But don't wait for the church. If you see an opportunity to bless your brother, your sister, a family in need, I mean, if for tax purposes you want to go through the church, fine, but please don't wait Meet the need. Meet the need of your brothers and sisters. Maybe your neighbor who wasn't even a Christian. Imagine. Imagine what might happen if you say to your neighbor, I know you lost your car. I have another car. You can use my car until your insurance money comes in. Or if they don't have insurance, listen, I'll sell you my car. I'll help you get a car. If you're missing these opportunities, you need to think again. These are the opportunities we pray for and that God has brought. And he sometimes uses famine. He sometimes uses floods. He sometimes uses storms and fires and persecutions and government intrusion of our rights. He uses these things to bring opportunities for us to give or to go. So will you go? Will you give? Let's prepare our hearts. For communion lord heavenly father we thank you for your word and we know that you have called us to go we know that you've called us to give and maybe you called us to go and give but we know that we can do nothing apart from you oh lord we need to get beyond ourselves we're so good at taking care of ourselves lord but you're so good at taking care of us when we take care of others so lord may we not look to preserve our own lives may we look to lose our life that we might find our lives as your word teaches us. As we receive communion now, Lord, this is really just a time of commitment. Communion is a time of commitment, a commitment to you and to the things we believe that it would transform our hearts and our lives and that we would be able to be used by you, by the Holy Spirit, to proclaim that you died on the cross for our sins, that you rose again on the third day and that you're coming again to judge the living and the dead. We know that truth, we have that truth, and we're saved. We couldn't be safer. We're safe for all eternity. But there are so many out there that are not. So now we ask that you'd use us mightily. We ask that this time of communion would prepare us to be strong and courageous in you. Lead us by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.